Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we get medical, but keep it lighthearted. Joining me from Milwaukee is Chijoke Ikonte, who is a med student at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So of course, we tackle the obvious. I think the best thing we can do is kind of the best thing that you've probably been hearing about from the CDC or on the news, which is the practice. Wash Just your hands, distancing. Yep. please. Wash your hands, please. <laughs> do your ABCs. <laughs> if you forgot them, say, time say, to learn again. Say happy birthday yeah. twice. As well as foreign-born healthcare professionals role in the fight of COVID. For a lot of people who are using this, the J-1 visa, the Conrad waiver, these aren't necessarily medical students who have finished medical school and are now doing a residency. They are very much ready to roll. All the while making jokes and keeping it fun as I get to sit down with one of my best friends in the entire world. Appreciate your time. That's my brother right here. My bro, my brother. <laughs> Real life. Other than my yeah. blood brothers, this <laughs> Absolutely. is one of my two brothers. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. So my last day on the hospital was March 17th. So that previous weekend of like March 13th going into 16th, 17th, he started to hear a lot of schools that started pulling their students off of rotations because he started seeing increasing mm -hmm. cases. Pretty much I would say March 12th and March 17th, 18th, every medical school, at least in the U.S., pulled their third and fourth year students off of rotation. For those who don't mm -hmm. know how the curriculum works, you know, you spend your first two years kind of in a classroom setting mm -hmm. most of the time. And then your third and fourth year, you're transitioning to more clinical stuff. You're in the hospital every day, you're in different rotations. And so you're, we got pulled off of those rotations. So yeah, today's been three weeks since the last time I was in the wow. hospital. Yeah. So since then, it's kind of transitioned more to kind of virtual uh class virtual classrooms mm -hmm. right so there's been some talk that mm -hmm. they're actually pulling some fourth year students because there's such a a high demand is there any credence to that right now yeah so i i've definitely seen that especially in some of the areas that have been pretty impacted by covid 19 like i'm thinking of new york mm -hmm. and tonight we're getting a closer look at how a bold move by the NY, by nyu could help on the front lines of treating patients with coronavirus the school is allowing medical students who have met all of their requirements to graduate early and get right to work. A lot of the med schools in New York, the Columbia's, the Cornell's, NYU's, they've allowed their fourth year students to graduate early. How it also works for those that might be unfamiliar is your fourth year of medical school, you decide what subspecialty you wanna go into. You go through interviews for that subspecialty. And then in early, mid-March, you find out exactly what hospital you're gonna do your residency at. Mm -hmm. And so you graduate at the end of May you're supposed to start your residency the 1st of July. And so what's happening now is that a lot of hospitals, especially or schools in kind of hotspot areas are giving their fourth year students the option to kind of quote unquote graduate early or finish kind of their schoolwork early and just go straight into residency. Because at that point, you already pretty much know what you would need to know to begin your residency. You're just kind of in this you, it's almost like a downtime. A lot of students take vacation. And so I know that the ACGME, which is the Association of Accreditation for Graduate Medical Education, 
they issued a statement basically saying that they're not going to stop schools from doing this, but they want schools to make sure that they're considering kind of the ramifications of, of doing such a thing, of letting their students graduate early, because it does kind of raise a lot of questions as to, you know, how are we going to support these students while they're working? Are these students, are they employees? Are they not employees? Are they just, are they simply volunteers? Are we going to pay them or not? You know, there's a lot of logistical questions that kind of go into this. Um, I know at my school, at the Med College of Wisconsin, they said there's no plans for at this time for fourth year students to graduate early and start doing rotations. But I know that that's something that other schools have considered. Got it. Got it. And yeah, that does bring into question. I, I didn't even think about that in terms of are these volunteers? Or do they get paid? What's the payroll? Mm-hmm. Like if they're not fully certified in that sense, if you could take it even further, you know, God forbid, if there's a a moment, you know, they if unskilled or inexperienced, they make a mm-hmm. mistake and uh, malpractice right. yeah. comes their way who takes on that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, a lot of things. It's some it's, right? yeah, there's a lot of things that apply to residents that you have to ask everyone to apply these to these students. Like like you just said, the mal- malpractice insurance is a thing that most resident physicians, attending physicians get. And so you have these new incoming residents who are only gonna be here until maybe early mid June before they have to go to the where they're actually doing the residencies at. Um, and have those obligations. Now, obviously, this is an immigration podcast. We deal with international stories. Mm-hmm. How does international medical students play into this? One, because when we think the medical industry has a very high percentage of foreign-born healthcare professionals, nationwide is around right. like 17 to 20%, right? And when you think about 20% of healthcare professionals, whether it's doctors or nurses, who potentially, let's say they're on a, a J-1 visa, well, do they get an extension? That's the real question because if you have mm-hmm. you know, yeah. a portion of yeah. that 20% not able to, to help, we're at a situation where we need all hands on deck. Yeah, and so and it's so it's definitely a tough situation because even the that J one visa program that you mentioned was just suspended in the United States three weeks ago. It was suspended for sixty days, and then at the end of those sixty days, they're going to kind of reevaluate and decide do we want to extend it another thirty days, kind of go on a on a rolling basis. And so, um, a situation we could find ourselves in relatively soon is where you have a physician shortage. Um, especially an international physician shortage, like you just said, 20% are international. And it's not just older physicians, it's younger physicians too. You know, in in 2019, Mm -hmm. almost 60% of all internal medicine students were non-U.S. seniors. So only only 40% were actually, only 40% of residents who matched into internal medicine were actually fourth years at a U.S. medical school. The rest were kind of made up of DOs, international med students, non-U.S. international med graduates. And so international medical students are a pretty significant chunk of our physician population. And now we're kind of facing a situation where a lot of them may not be able to come and provide work during a time where they're needed. You know, one could say more than ever, at least more than we can recall in recent history. 
Right. Um, I, I like to think about it in the sense where if there's a, a, a large forest fire, that's when the firefighters, that's their time. That's their, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's their finals. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like the game seven finals, you right. know, um, for healthcare workers, this is the finals, you know what I'm saying? This mm-hmm. is when you, you strap up, you need everybody to be on their A game and ready to provide the care that they're able to give. So uh, that's that's something that we have to consider. Now, do, do you know uh, anybody who is currently on the J1 or uh, I know is looking to the Conrad waiver program. I'm not sure if you could explain what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Conrad waiver program basically allows J1 medical doctors to be able to stay in the U S for two years and practice after they finish the J1 visa program. You know, the J1 visa program itself allows mm-hmm. foreign born physicians to continue their clinical training in the U.S. after they have been trained in Nigeria. I mean, I was, well, well, actually, no. This, this is yeah. good because people don't know. Uh, no, so you you are of Nigerian descent. So, <laughs> so that's great. That was a nice plug. It was nice. <laughs> And so like the Conrad Waiver Program, it basically allows internationally trained physicians who have come to the U.S. to do a residency or a fellowship to be able to stay in the U.S. after they finish the training. Otherwise, they'd have to go back to to their home country. (laughs) And um, this program is pretty important because a lot of these international medical graduates who come to practice in the U.S., they're not only training in areas that we would consider medically underserved, but when they finish their training, they tend to stay and continue to treat patients or work in areas where the, there are medical disparities or you have a lot of people underserved medically. And so with the suspension of the program, the, what, we're, what the potential problem we're seeing, and this problem may not show itself until you know, a little bit further down the line, but what we don't want is a situation where People who live in areas where they're vulnerable, more vulnerable to medical conditions than others, people who have been historically disenfranchised, historically haven't been able to get proper medical care, are now in situations where the individuals who usually would be able to come and provide that care are all of a sudden not able to provide that care, especially as, you know, as COVID-19 cases continue to increase, you know, it's very imperative that we don't interrupt the training of the individuals mm-hmm. who ultimately are going to be serving the people who need proper medical care. Right. 70% of the COVID-19 mm-hmm. cases in Chicago were underserved African-Americans, right? So um, if you don't have the access to proper health care, then this is something that could really impact you on uh, on a medical level, financial level. Right. Yeah. And it's not even just Chicago. And I don't have the exact numbers, but I know even in Milwaukee and New York City, the, the cities that have begun to stratify the their COVID cases by race, by ethnicity, and have released that data publicly across the board, what we're seeing is that mm-hmm. individuals of, of African, African-American descent are being uh, hit harder by COVID-19, both in terms of number of cases and in terms of ultimate mortality. I see a similarity here because health disparities have always existed for the African-American community. 
But here again, with the crisis, how it's shining a bright light on how unacceptable that is. Because yet again, when you have a situation like the coronavirus, they are suffering disproportionately, as Dr. Berg said correctly. It's not that they're getting infected more often. It's that when they do get infected, their underlying medical conditions, the diabetes, the hypertension, the obesity, the asthma, those are the kind of things that wind them up in the ICU and ultimately give them a higher death rate. So when all this is over, and as we've said, it will end. We will get over coronavirus, but there will still be health disparities, which we really do need to address in the African-American community. Thanks. Patients who are living in underserved areas, they're not getting the proper health care they need. And suspending some of these programs that allow individuals to come in mm -hmm. who are willing to work in these areas and work with these patients, you know, it has the potential to only exacerbate these problems. I was on my psychiatry rotation right before we got pulled off and I was at, I was at the Milwaukee VA and I was working in the immediate care psychiatry unit where you know patients come in who just want to talk to somebody or just it could be for anything. It's kind of like the urgent care of psychiatry and the first two weeks on that we were getting an average of about anywhere between 20-25 patients a day over like over the course of a work day. Over the last few days, we were down to maybe two or three patients a oh, day. Okay. And I think the very last day I was there, I think we had one patient the entire day. And so what a lot what we're seeing is that we're seeing a big emphasis on transition to telemedicine. You know, they came and set up Skype cameras and microphones in every physician's office. Unless as a patient, what you're dealing with is an acute issue. What we're seeing is that we're transitioning to basically virtual telemedicine. Wow. You know, in fact, I'm on a family medicine rotation right now. And starting tomorrow, tomorrow will be my first day doing telemedicine with, you know, my attending physician. I'll be calling patients, you know, from my room, you know, talking to them, getting a history, giving out care, and then talking to my attending physician also on the phone about the patient interaction we just had. So we're, we're seeing a lot of transition to, mm. to telemedicine. I know even, and it's not, it's not just with medicine too. I know with surgery, if, if your issue surgically is not an urgent case, and, and when I say urgent, I mean things like trauma, I mean things like a burst appendix, right, right. things that, you know, this needs to be, yeah. we need to fix this right now. If it's something that doesn't need to be fixed right at this moment, they're not going to do it right now and that's been at hospitals across the board um they they pull before medical students are pulled off of rotations at least in surgery rotations they had medical students stop scrubbing in or being in the operating room only because that's another mask that a student has to use and that you know masks appear to be in very short supply mm -hmm. appear to be a very right. valuable resource right now and so uh, seeing a lot of transition to virtual care, telemedicine, as far as what they're telling us about how to keep people safe, mm -hmm. I think the best thing we can do is kind of the best things that you've probably been hearing about from the CDC around the news, which is the practice. Wash your hands. Social distancing. Yeah, wash your hands. <laughs> do your ABCs. <laughs> if you forgot them, say, time to learn say, again. Say happy yeah. birthday twice. I think yeah. you're what someone told me. Happy birthday song twice and wash your hands. You know, yeah. when you come in, before you eat, after you eat, after interactions and then while you're outside just practice social distancing keep uh, at least a six mm -hmm. feet diameter unless you absolutely need to get close uh, you know keep yeah. track of your symptoms as well 
And I think those are kind of the mm-hmm. best things we can do for ourselves. You know, it's very cliche. Yeah. I know that you, you've probably heard about the, you know, the, the hashtag flatten the curve all over social yeah. media. Yeah. And as, as cliche as it might sound for everyone to talk about it, it's, it's, it's very, very real. You know, the mm-hmm. best thing we can do for ourselves is to prevent exposure. And we can prevent exposure by social isolating and, you know, by practicing good hygiene. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because I actually I was at the grocery store today and at the checkout, they had stickers on the floor and it was spread out by mm-hmm. uh, maybe, let's say, two, three feet. And it said, practice social distancing, keep this space, this amount of space right. between mm-hmm. the, the next customer. Going back to the telework, that now that's really new information. I always thought about that in the in the future, kind of like 2030 or something like that, where you're sitting down and you go over your symptoms mm-hmm. with your doctor mm-hmm. and they say, okay, cough and okay, how, how does it feel? And tell me. And they write down over right. you know over a <laughs> Skype call and but they can't, it's not the hands-on diagnosis. So it, it, mm-hmm. I guess we're we're already mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's, yeah it's funny how you just you can just advance the times all all it takes is a is a mm-hmm. simple pandemic but yeah it, it is it is interesting and I'm I'm kind of very intrigued to see how how I like it over the next couple of weeks because you know you 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 still will get to interact with patients and talk to patients but you know a big part of practicing medicine is in mm-hmm. fact the physical exam. Um, especially when a patient comes in, when a patient comes in and says, oh, my, you know, my stomach hurts or, you know, my, my right. leg hurts, I have a sore throat. You know, you can you can ask a bunch of questions, but a lot of physicians would argue that the most valuable resource they have is actually being able to, right. you know, lay hands on the patient and figure out physically, OK, what's going on here? It will be very, very interesting to see moving forward with once again, I was saying that 20 percent, the international medical community internationally born medical community is you know very valued and we can't sit right. on the the sidelines when we have people available mm-hmm. so yeah yeah and and something just to add on to that something that i have to just make sure i emphasize is that for a lot of people who are using this the j1 visa the conrad waiver these aren't necessarily medical students who have finished medical school and are now doing a residency. You know, that's that's the position that I'm in. I'm a third year medical student and I have one right. more year of school and then I'll be in resident. Uh, for a lot of these physicians who are trying to get use these waiver programs, right. they've already exactly. completed medical school. They've already that's completed the a residency program in another country. And so they are qualified. Very much ready to, ready to roll. There there will be little there will be a much less kind of adjustment period. You're dealing with people who are already doctors, mm-hmm. basically. In, in other countries, they've already seen way more patients than I've seen. They've already, you know, done way more procedures than I have done. And so these are these are real doctors who are just trying to practice, you know, in the United States. And so that's that's an important right. distinction to make because what we need right now are right. trained doctors. And we have an entire pool of trained doctors internationally who would love nothing more than to come over and to be able to help and especially help these underserved right. areas. And so I think I personally, you know, think that we owe it to ourselves to try to streamline that process or make it as easy as possible for these physicians to come and help the way that, you know, we all know that they can. All right. Well, with this being said, uh, I hope 
that uh, the people who can make these decisions uh, take those suggestions. It's very wise words. Right. Very wise words. Uh, well, CJ, you already know. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> your time. It's my brother right here. My bro. My brother. <laughs> Real life. Yeah. Other yeah. than my blood brother, <laughs> this is one of my two brothers. So just you know, I always love, always willing to support. <laughs> See, I was I was thinking about it early. I was like, you know what? In about fifteen years, when you're the Doctor Oz, we're gonna get on this again. And <laughs> it's gonna be something else. It's gonna be something else. The the 2035 version, and I'll be It'll like, be a you know, <laughs> I need a medical expert. You know, come on the cast. Come on the cast. Nah, we get. <laughs> Yeah, all right. People need to know, on, man. You are, you are, you know, you are. You don't even need to ask. You already know. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Lee Researcher, Con Branch, Assistant Producers Luke Bianco and David White, and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at immnerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.